Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Frank is out of town. You guys haven't heard from him for a while, and some of you may know this, uh, and some of you may not. Is His dad passed away on Christmas morning. Our hearts go out to him, and we just want to take a moment of silence for him. You're listening to The Everyday Sniper. This is Mike. And Adam. From Mile High Shooting. And we're going to uh, jump into an episode today for you guys. Frank asked me to cover for him, so... Um, we're sitting here on a nice, cool weekend, a bolstering 20 degrees outside, and we want to get together and talk about a little load development, do some recap, and get back into practical shooting. So, load development, I think, load development really starts where you decide on what caliber you're going to go with. Yes. Yeah, caliber, I mean, that, that's the most, uh, most important thing is, is, is pick a caliber that's that's suited to you, your your shooting style, what you're going to be doing. Not all of us try to shoot and burn out three barrels a year. You know, if I could get two years out of it or four years out of it, it depends on on caliber and your selection and kind of where you want to be as a shooter. Not all of us are professionals, you know. Right, making that decision is more or less do like when you're picking a precision caliber, you're like, do I want to load for this or do I not want to load for this? So. If it's it's a real simple decision, you say, okay, well, I don't want to load for it. Then you don't have to do any type of load development. That's correct. And and even even the calibers that you say, like, hey, I'm not going to reload. I want to buy a good factory ammo. Keep that brass because you may reload it someday. You may reload it someday. So really, it's going to come down to what's going to shoot in the gun. So a lot of six fives out there. A lot of six fives. So yeah. it, is it going to be one thirty nines? Is it going to be one forties, one forty three, one forty seven? That's where you have to find that and see what the barrel likes. Yeah, the barrel, what the barrel likes, and then a, a velocity and a BC. You know, there's a lot to low development. You know, and, and I think a lot of guys. You know, what they try to do is they, they chase numbers all the time. You know, it's like, well, man, I, well, this one has a, a 536 BC, but this one has a, a 620 BC, and this has this, and this has that, you know. Make a decision on a bullet. You know, make it, try to decide where you are or what bullet you want and, and buy enough bullets of the same lot to burn that barrel out. You're you're going to get proficient with it. You're going to know what that bullet is and I don't I don't like chasing numbers all the time because it's it's exhausting and there's so much low development that goes on and everything into it. It just it, you can wear yourself out or burn yourself out very quickly just by changing components all the time. So get something with a consistent or a number that you like, make that decision ahead of time. And then we will then move on to the kind of you know like your next next steps and stages of, of that cartridge and load development and getting a gun built and a barrel built. I think component availability is going to be a huge decision maker on that as well. There was a not and it wasn't long ago, but there was a time where it was really hard to find the components that you needed to get uh, you know like a good load developed. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, when Burger got bought out by uh, Capstone, then, you know, they moved their production facility. People had a hard time getting bullets, and then that changed a lot of people's opinions on what they're going to run and what they were running, you know, for the year. So, um, yeah, make sure that you have the the availability behind it. You know, I, I hear guys running out of DTACs, and, and David Tubb doesn't have enough in stock or hadn't, hadn't replenished his supply for people to buy yet, you know, so... Uh, that's that kind of goes back to make sure you have enough 
for the year. Yeah, buy it all, <clears throat> what you're yeah. going to need for that barrel, and then move on with life. Yeah, so, I mean, like that, make sure. I, I've heard some rumors, you know, on the, like, uh, the this new, the 25 Creedmoor, you know, and guys are making custom bullets for it. Well, that one bullet is the only bullet out there that has a good high BC for you. So if that's the only bullet that you can get that you like, then the problem is what if that doesn't shoot or what if you can't buy enough? You bought 500 or you bought 100 just to do low development with and it's awesome, but now they're sold out and you can't get enough. You know, it's like, well, you have a barrel, you have low development and everything is there, but now you're out of bullets and it's going to be three months before that manufacturer has those bullets again. Sure. And it's not just component availability. It's going to come into, again, we're going to go back into time. What is your time worth to you to take the time to do this low development? Because if you're chasing a wildcat round, now you have to spend extra time on the brass. It's not just doing that development with, you know, your actual load and what you're with the performance you want to see out of the gun. It's the brass that has to perform now. Right. Yeah, and there's a, and brass is getting so much better these days. You know, uh, um, you know that it wasn't that long ago you had to turn next if you wanted to get every piece of accuracy out of every piece of brass. Then you were turning next and and doing a lot of a lot of work to a piece of brass to get it to the consistency that you like. But now Lapua is doing a very good job. Peterson is doing a very good job of getting brass to the consumer that is that is a high quality product and you don't have to do as much to it now so uh that that definitely helps as far as deciding on brass and and alpha mu alpha munitions makes really good brass we've heard lots of good things about it mm -hmm. as well so, you know. so coming from a bench rest background bench rest versus the practical shooting we've talked about it in previous podcasts the chambers are really tight in there and so with the with the practical shooting that we do mm -hmm. now uh, you, you kind of want to leave a little bit of space in there for debris and whatnot. So right. when you're developing a load for bench rest versus practical shooting, what, what are the big differences? What are you looking at between the two? So that, cause you do your loading on the line in bench rest, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, during, during the day, you know, so a bench rest shooter, he'll tune his load to the temperature outside and what he's seeing in groups. So it's not uncommon to see like the very first, um, targets shot all the shooters are going to the line with three different loads they'll have you know and varying and see which one charge weight yeah sure. you know the, generally seating depth is pretty much set at that point but they but to keep a gun in tune and see what gun what load is shooting the best in the morning you know colorado has huge temperature swings mm -hmm. you know it's it's 35 40 degrees in the morning and you can get up to 70 75 80 and then it'll and they, snow and then <clears throat> next day there'll be no snow right you could be shooting across <laughs> snow and then a, basically a lake the next day cuz yeah. it all melted you know yeah. so you know for a bench rest guy that's that's hard to keep a gun in tune it's just like uh like uh, the funny cars, you know, they for every bit of elevation and temperature and everything that it changes on, you know, or everything that changes, you, your their car changes. It's the same with with that precise of a rifle when shooting bench rest is we're talking thousands of inches when matches. So, you know, keeping a gun in tune. Um, my mentor, Speedy Gonzalez, all the time he told me he's like, hey, if you shoot a screamer at a hundred yards, which is uh, a screamer is basically any group that's under a hundred thousands at a hundred yards. So center to center of your group measures under point one zero zero. 
And if it shoot, if you shoot a screamer, you're gonna change your load the next, the next uh, five shot group that you shoot because your gun will not be in tune. It just was in tune. It's heating up or it's cooling down or depending on what the day is doing, it was perfect at that point. But most likely it's gonna change fast enough. Your gun will no longer be in tune when you go to the line again because they have you know, two, maybe three relays. Mm -hmm. So you have to like, okay, well, it's cooling down. I need to, I need to bump my load up to keep that same tune or it's heating up. So I need to drop my load down or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. You're looking for the right note. You're yeah. You know, you want that bullet to leave the, leave the barrel at the exact same point every single time, you know, and that's in a six mil bullet. And I know we talked about this at the shop the other day. When a six mil is shooting really good and you have a really good tune on yeah. your gun, it looks like a twenty two caliber bullet hole. Right. I mean, it literally, literally looks smaller than the bullet in the paper. Oh, it absolutely <clears throat> does. I have that picture that you uh, you push the paper back to like when we shot it in the the back end of the paper. You pulled all the paper back in mm-hmm. and it just like like little pin dots in it. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. You're cool. like, man, how, how did, how's a six mil look that small? You know, yeah. it's just like, Hey, your gun was in tune with the temperature or whatever it was, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, keeping a gun in tune is for bench rest guys. It, that's optimum. You know, you have to know what's, what's going on. You know, they're watching density altitude all the time or, or the temperature, you know, everybody has their own methods, obviously, but, um, it's hard for us tactical guys or practical shooters to do that. You know, we need to find a load that will, you know, we're not trying to shoot. That'll work every, in in all kinds of uh, conditions or situations. Right. Because we can't shoot, we can't tune our load in the middle of a match. You know, we got to find a load that is consistent across the board through cold weather, hot weather, windy conditions, calm conditions, you know, and if you actually start to test those things, it, it does make a difference. So, you know, we're looking for a consistent group. So if you can consistently, it doesn't matter, hot, cold, windy, not, if you can walk out and shoot a 3 eighths group with that gun, that load is money. Right. Where 3 eighths at a bench rest match all day, you'll be in the top third. Sure. Well, we do a lot, a lot of our load development here is done in crappy conditions most of the time because it's either you know blowing 15 to 20 miles an hour or it's cold yeah i mean how, how many times have, have i called you and like hey man get over here and shoot it's blowing about 15 mile an hour yeah like let's let's check this load because i want to see what it does in the wind mm-hmm. if it holds up in the wind then i'm gonna run that load for you know for matches if i get a, a load that shoots quarter when it's calm and half when it's windy or a three eighths load that shoots all the time, I'm going to shoot the three eighths load. Oh, absolutely. You the know? one that's most consistent. Yes. And this is, that's all this is about is consistency. That's right. So <clears throat> what goes into load development? So what's, you know, what's common practice? What are some things that you see when, or you're looking for personally in load development, like setting the chamber and the throat to your load or something like that. So mm-hmm. we'll have, um, Folks that come in with specific needs, they want to shoot. They're like, I want it to be, uh, my overall length is going to be this. I know what it's going to be before they even have the barrel, before they even shot the load. They're like, they're telling us what they are going to use and we're custom making it to that particular round. Right. And And that's what we prefer. 
you know, like somebody that walks in and they say, hey, like I want to run this brass, this bullet, this powder, this primer. Okay, cool. Well, the primer and the powder doesn't really mean anything to us. The bullet, the, the brass and the uh, the bullet, that's what matters to us is gunsmiths. Let me, let me say that. So okay. like Fritz in there chambering it or, or Doug or me or whatever. So we, what we want to do is make sure that you have your mind made up. You have a bullet and you have enough of the same lot number that you're going to run this bullet. And then you bought this lot number of Lapua brass or Peterson brass or Hornady brass or whatever you're running, Winchester, Alpha. Um, then we're going to load that and you load that bullet to right where you want it. Like I, this is where I want to run my load. Okay. Bring me those dummy rounds and we'll basically fit that round to that chamber. So now you have a custom chamber going directly to that load. You've, you've done a lot of work and all we did was make that barrel for your load, for your components. That's what you have. Okay. So let me ask you this. When they do stuff like that, and I see it a lot. Those are like typically guys that have been doing this for a while. Uh -huh. They know what load works for them. Even though every barrel is different, they know they can get really, really close on where it needs to be as far as how they're going to tune that gun. Yeah. So how do you get to that point? Because when we do load development, we change a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we look at charge weight. We look at seating depth. Yep. You know, we look at overall lengths or how far it's going to jump. Right. So, so with how do you get to that point where you're just like, dude, I'm just going to use 185s and this and this and this, boom, boom, boom. Right. Here's what I want you to build. Right. So the biggest thing is, is you have an idea, okay? And if you have two bullets that you're really looking at, that's fine. You know, run those two. Um, but we want to make sure that one, that it, you have enough... Um, tension on the neck, the bullet seating far enough in the case, you know, and then that bullet is where you want it in the case, which is generally the end of the bearing surface by the boat tail right at the end of the neck shoulder junction. Right. That, that way you don't get the dreaded donut. Okay. Then at that point, we need to make sure that fits in the mag, which right. is very so, important. <laughs> right? you there know, are like, some mags out there that it won't fit in. Like yeah. for instance, when, when we were running with somebody who had some Magpul mags, and they were running 6.5, and factory loaded 6.5 was fine. They started doing their own load development, increased their overall length, which in turn didn't allow it to fit in the magazine. Right. Which you'll see with some of the AI mags that have the magazine bar in there as well. Yeah, the stiffening plate in it. Yeah, yeah. the stiffening plate. Yep. Yep. So you, you'll, you'll, you lose 80 thousandths of an inch with a standard AICS mag. You know, it's the single point, stack one. The single stack, 3901, 3902, mm -hmm. um, they're 2.9 inches internal. Where the AT mag or the AX rifle mags are 2.980 inside. Right, so you so, kick that out a little so bit. So you get an extra 80 thousandths of, of working there. you know. And we have those MDT mags that have the stiffening plate out. They're 12 rounders. It, it kind of suits the, the competition guys a little bit more, you know. So. Yeah, because they've been dropping two more rounds on them <laughs> per, per stage. Yeah, whatever. so you get a 12 rounder and it doesn't have the stiffening plate in it. So, um, but. Again, that load has to work with the components that you have. So make sure it fits in your mag. Okay. 
then if you have a, a gunsmith, it doesn't have to be us, it could be any gunsmith, they, everybody can check this. So make sure that that bullet is not jumping, say, a hundred thousandths to the rifling or, or more or, or what. You want to know where your bullet is to the rifling. Very, you, I know guns shoot with the bullets jumping. I've done it. I've jumped a bullet a hundred times. So define that real quick. So jumping. So so that where the the ogive of the bullet meets the rifling. So the the rifling has free bore or a throat cut in it, so which it has a free bore and lead, which basically cuts rifling on an angle. So when the bullet enters the barrel, it doesn't jam into a square. It funnels in. Yeah, it it kind of funnels it in and, and gets it straight and. And then you don't build pressure as fast. Right. Okay. So guns do shoot jumping bullets. Is it as consistent as being as being really close to the lands? I just can't wrap my head around thinking that a bullet jumping all the time is more consistent than a bullet being really close to the lands. <laughs> right. You know, like it just takes one it just takes one more thing out of happening. You know, sure. Just, I mean, like your your chances of it entering the bore concentrically, yeah, decrease the further you get away from it. They increase the further away you get away from the rifling. Okay. Yeah. So the the closer you get to the rifling, the closer that bullet is to entering the rifling right away, decreases chances of it of it basically. Entering the rifling crooked. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is yeah. the further away, if it's going to jump, it's it may not get in there concentrically. Right. Yeah, which causes precession, and that's where the bullet is basically entered the rifling on an angle, and then when it comes out, it tips and yaws, and it basically it has one balance point, and the tip is moving and the boat tail is moving, and it takes a little bit for that bullet to go to sleep, which mm-hmm. is where it stops doing that. And right, and it does what it's supposed to be doing. It's, right. it's it's corrected its aerodynamics right and that's aerodynamic jump you get mm-hmm. that with the kestrel and all that stuff sure and, you know it, we talk about it all the time it's just like having a definition behind it is right okay, what's it doing why is it doing that yeah so um, i i prefer to have my bullet as close to the rifling as possible just for the fact that in my head it helps me think that on a consistent basis it will enter the rifling better every single time so hand in hand deciding your overall length and the the magazine internal length is what your limiting factors are so they they kind of they go hand in hand because you, right. if it doesn't fit in the magazine then you can't use it right. or you're just gonna have a single shot bolt gun right so how, how do you determine what you want your overall length to be okay so what we do is, is again, take the bullet that you want to use, and I'll seat that bullet so that the bearing surface, the bearing surface boat tail junction mm-hmm. is at the shoulder neck junction, not below it, right, basically at that corner or slightly above it, okay? And that's hard to do with uh, short cases, short necked cases. Sure. Kind of like a, a dasher has an extremely short neck. You don't get a ton of purchase on the bullet, but that's the that's the risk you take with a with a dasher. So you're going to take that measurement. You're going to bring that bullet down into that into that case. Yep. And then you just measure yep. that overall gonna, length and say, okay, this is what we're rolling with. Yep. Make sure it fits in your mag. Hey, it fits in there perfect, which it should. It's a dasher or a BR or whatever. So at that point, make sure it fits in your mag. It yeah, fits it's like throwing mag. a hot dog it, down a hallway in one of those magazines. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Uh, you want to make sure that everything is going to function the way that you want it to. Now it's like, okay, let's get a barrel chambered for this. You know, then then that's that's gonna that's gonna set you up for success the fastest way. And you have a good gunsmith; he's gonna throat that barrel for you so that the bullet is, you know, say ten thousands, fifteen thousand, twenty thousands, whatever you specify. Then that that that's what's gonna happen, right? So is it almost better? <coughs> sorry, is it almost better to kind of have a plan when you're walking into it? Like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to load, so I want to build this load, or I'm going to build this barrel around this load. Mm-hmm. It, it it is that that's the that's the optimum way right now you kind of step back and say hey well i'm not sure if i want to hand load i want to run factory i want to do this at that point that changes what you have to do or for us as gunsmiths it changes what we need to do because if it's like hey well i'm going to run factory well then i i can't custom throat this for you basically i'm going to run it so that i know all ammo is going to run in your gun and you are going to be set up. And if you want to reload for it, you can still reload for it. But if you know you're going to hand load all the time and it doesn't matter, then we'll set it up to exactly what you have and what you want. Yeah, or get it set up that way so yeah. that you're you're doing the same thing every single time and back to consistency. Right. So powder charge. I know that we do, when we go out and shoot and you're developing a load, mm-hmm. We do different powder charges. Why are, why are we doing that and what are we looking for? Yep. So first thing I, I always do on a, on a barrel is I'll shoot, I'll load up, you know, what I would consider light loads. I know that they're 10% under everybody's published max. You know, I have, I have five or 10 different reloading manuals for a reason because I look that cartridge up and go through there, find what everybody's loading, search the internet. You know, I know multiple guys, they do spreadsheets on it, so they know starting load and then max load. I do, I load up about 10 minimum loads and just shoot through the barrel because you want to kind of break that barrel in just a little bit and season it if there's anything in there, deeper, whatever. Mm -hmm. At that point, then from that load, I start moving up in half grain increments. So if, let's say I started at 40 grains, then I go to 40 and a half, 41, 41 and a half. Do you and use different bullets to do that, to season the barrel? No. You use the so same, use everything that you're going to use in that is, gun yep. is what you were using for, for seasoning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mess with that just for the fact that, I mean, let me, let me say I have, it's easier and more consistent if you do the same thing all the time. Sure. Right. Um, and you already know what you're working with, you know and, you can, with. and you can see the accuracy level or what it's, right. what it's and, turning into. Yeah, and you can tell. I mean, even those are even those are those light loads. Yeah, they're not at the speed you want, but you can still see accuracy with it. You know, generally, if you're fifteen thousands off the lands, no matter what powder charge rate you are at, generally you'll see good accuracy if everything is machined correctly and and good, right? Now, obviously, there's better sections than others because if the bullet's exiting on a good node, load development-wise, you know, then you'll see it. So what I do, I step up in half-grain increments, and I try to find a max load so I know what that barrel is capable of because mm-hmm. every barrel is different. That's why everybody tells you load it down and then work your way up. So I work my way up first thing. Figure out what is a max load on that gun. 
So that gun, that barrel, you're shooting along and all of a sudden the bolt gets just slightly tacky and the next load, boom, it's hard to open. I can't hardly do anything. Well, that automatically tells me you do not want that load at all, right? The load before that was a tacky bolt lift. You don't really want that in a match. So that would probably be your max, max load ever. Yeah, your max setting. You got to right. turn the volume down now. Well, let's go. So we're going to go from tacky bolt lift down from there. Then you know I don't want to cross this 40, 43 grains, say, you know, whatever it is. Right. And you're also, you're seeing a lot of other stuff too. So you're seeing the, the heavy bolt lift. You're looking at the brass and you're going to this and messing up my brass. You, you got ejector marks, extractor marks all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, primer flow, flattened primers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of know. pressure. Yeah. And this is all with the powder that you're going to run for this cartridge or the powder that you want to run. Now you may have to do this a couple times if you want to run two different powder. You are trying or testing two different powders two different bullets you may have to do this a couple of times but you need to find max in my opinion you need to know where max load is so you know basically i can't go above that right you know like hey i i'm i'm starting to see a uh a node here but i know if i go above that it's going to get tacky and it's gonna it's gonna hose me in a match or while i'm shooting you and know? it's going to be unnecessary wear on the gun Right, it, it's already it's pretty hot. Let's just yeah. back it down from there. You know, find a, a a load or a node for that gun underneath of that. Okay. So once you find your max load and you know where you're at, now it's time to do your load development. Right, we've we got the barrel all set up for us. We have all the components at our disposal that we want. Now is the time that we we find our seating depth and powder charge. Okay. And there's well, we just found our powder charge basically. We found max powder charge. Okay, gotcha. We did not find where we're going to run our gun and where the best accuracy and consistency is at. We just found out what is max on our gun. So when you were saying you jump it up, you know, half, half grain. grain, half grain, half grain. When you back it down, are you backing it down a half grain, or are you At are you going moment. like, okay, well, let's do now. Like, we'll now we'll know, do two, three, two or three tenths. Yeah, so. Most of the time, I find my max load, I'll jump down a half grain. I'll work up in two-tenths, go down in two-tenths. Okay. Okay? Then that'll, that'll kind of tell you where you're, where you're at as far as... So how many rounds does it take for you to say, okay, I found my max load? Uh, probably anywhere from 10 to 15, depending upon load and... And, uh, I'm asking these questions. I know the answer to them. Yeah. Like, because <clears throat> we typically load in maybe like fives. They'd say, okay, well, these five are for this, and these five are for this, and these five mm -hmm. are for this. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> and I see, I get to see this a lot. So it's just, you know, from my perspective, I'm going, okay, you've, you've done this many times to where you can go, okay, I know. This load's not going to be hot enough. This one's going to be about medium, and this one's going to be a little too much. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so finding that for you is a little bit easier. So 15 rounds into it, you typically know what your charge is going to be. Pretty pretty close, yeah. I know where I'm going to be at. Because there's, a, you know, most of the time there's a velocity that most guys are looking for. You know, it, it, some guys don't care. Other guys, it, it's, it means everything. Mm-hmm. 
you know. So I I like to find the max is I like to stay towards the max side of velocity because I'm a velocity guy. That's why I shoot six mil, right? And consistency. That's why I shoot six mil. <laughs> but everybody's all mad shutting us off now. They're like, ah, it's six ah, mil, six six five is way better. Six five. Listen, I, it goes way back. I shot six PPC in Bentrest. You'll never change my mind. Six millimeter is the most accurate bullet out there. Anyways, so um, now you get to basically you get to figure out seating depth and charge weight. Or yeah, charge weight. So what a lot of guys will do is they'll say, "Well, I need to find my optimum charge weight." So they set the bullet back into the case. You know, they're jumping twenty thousands, twenty five, thirty thousands. They're like, well, that doesn't matter because I'm trying to find consistency in my powder charge. Um, and then they'll go out and they'll shoot a ladder test, and then basically put up a piece of paper at five hundred yards, load ten loads, two tenths increments apart from each other. You know, and it's like, okay, well, the the bottom the bottom five of this load. It say at 42 grains, um, that was those five at 500 yards shot a two and a half inch group with five different loads. Then all of a sudden it started stringing out and my accuracy started to change and the point of impact was starting to move. And then all of a sudden the last two were right by each other. But that was at our max load. So now you kind of like, well, at the bottom at 42 grains, I had five loads that all shot within a two and a half inch group of each other. So that's gonna say, hey, well now, this is where I want my load to be because I had five different charge weights all shooting a two and a half inch group. So if you pick the middle charge weight of that, and you're plus or minus a little bit in there, you're fine, right? Right. So then you don't have to be as accurate while reloading. You know, you can be off a little bit and not have to Well, a lot of those machines aren't that accurate. you got to load to the kernel to get to what you're looking for. <laughs> right. So, you know, but like an RCBS Charge Master, if you've done that and they throw a tenth off, you know, the two machines are two tenths off from each other and you're just throwing powder and everything, generally you're still going to be okay because you found that, that mm -hmm. node, right? That area. That so area. You, you're just, you're trying to be in that general area because, again, going back to, well... Does you know match ammunition purchased match ammunition shoot just as well? In some cases, it does, and they're mm -hmm. very accurate, and they're using these highly tuned machines to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of guys like to hand load because they think they can get it to a more accurate state instead of yeah. mass producing it. They're doing one by one by one. Yeah. So we have our overall length discovered. Yep. We have our charge weight discovered. Yep. Or powder charge. So primers, um, setting primers, kind of go backwards a little bit. <clears throat> you have this note on here. Um, so there's got to be something important to it. Okay. Wait, oh, uh, well, before I get to, to primers, I'd like to – so we talked about powder charge, but seating depth. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is important, you know, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, they do a lot of load development on charge weight. And then they're like, okay, now I'll just run my my bullet in and out, and when I get this group right where I want it, then I'm okay. But did you go back and recheck your ladder test at the seating depth that you're at now? Because it can change. It shouldn't, but it can. Right. So that's where you know you want to check that seating depth 
and your optimum charge weight so that you kind of know what that that round is doing. So seating depth is very important still. You know, if you're jumping 20,000s compared to 10,000s, it can make a difference. You build pressure differently. You know, that bullet enters the rifling different. It changes harmonics. So if you're changing that seating depth after you've done an optimum charge weight or ladder test, then it can change. Well, so, yeah. so, you know, you kind of got to go back and forth or just test both at the same time and see what works for you. You know, it's kind of like a double ladder. You do charge, uh, powder charge weight and seating depth at the same time. And then you can kind of see what's what's happening. Now you got to shoot it on a grid. And I generally shoot it at, at 100 or 200 to see what's going on with it and see if I'm getting consistency someplace. And I've seen you do that with the powder charge and the seating depth you'll do. Instead of just doing like three groups of, of um, rounds. So you're, instead of your 15 rounds, I've seen like maybe 25 or 30 rounds or something where everything... You, you have these seating depths at this powder charge and these seating depths at this powder charge and that's what you're doing that's what right. you're trying that's what you're shooting for right yeah so you, <clears throat> two birds one stone two birds kind of. one stone i i you know and then so you set your target up with a level so that way your target is perfectly level then when you're shooting it obviously your gun's going to be level so you can see with as it's as the the velocity is speeding up if your accuracy is going down as you're jumping more or you know like kind of what's happening because if you're changing seating depth even if you have the same seating depth or different seating depths I'm sorry you have multiple seating depths same powder charge well, you'll see groups open and sh and close up so it's like oh well this one's shooting really good and then all of a sudden it gets tighter again so like that it does make a difference that's why I test both at the same time so Basically, I just create like a little graph. This this charge weight, we're running 42 grains. This seating depth, this seating depth, this seating depth. 42.2, this seating depth, this seating depth, this seating depth. Mm -hmm. You know, and then basically, then you can see what, what your gun is doing, you know, with different seating depths as well. And then when, basically, you'll see it where it's kind of opens and closes and, you know, look at it in a cross section you look at it vertically and you look at it horizontally and basically it'll tell you kind of what your optimum load is so that's that's kind of what i do i try to knock both out at the same time um, and then i did put a note on there as well three shots versus five shots while you're doing this mm -hmm. i feel that i'm a confident enough shooter that i can shoot three shot groups i feel that I know when I pull the trigger, I do something wrong, I can call my shot and I know what I do. So I have to base all my data sometimes off of two shots. Like I threw the third one and I have to write that. You know, like <laughs> right. I, threw, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I never looked at it that way. Yeah, you know, where you're like, just like, okay, yeah, we're going to shoot a three shot group, but only two of these counted. Yeah, because so I, now I, all my I data yanked, is based off of these two shots. Yeah, I yanked the shit out of the trigger, you yeah. know. So now you go over there and you look at it and you're like, ooh, okay, well. Uh, these two, do I reshoot this? Do you not? You know, are they in the same hole or are they a half inch apart? Or like, hmm, you know, but right. most of the time as good shooters, you can get away with three shot groups. 
90% of your data, you will have three-shot groups going off of it. Yeah, and it's not changing anything in the load. It's just the shooters, the, yeah. the shooter error. Right, shooter error. We all make mistakes, man. Even laying prone off of a good rest, I mean, it, it just happens. So if you, if you feel more confident shooting four shots and throwing one every four shots and working off of three, that's fine. Do that. Or if you're, you want to shoot five shots, shoot five shots if you want good trigger time. You know? But when you do your load data, that is the most crucial time to make sure that you have very good trigger presses. I, I know my strength is I am better as a cold shooter than shooting for an hour. Right. I, I lose patience. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm... Can't I'm, miss fast enough. I, yeah, man. I, <laughs> so I, I would rather try to get as much done at the very beginning of my day where I, ha- I know I have to do all my good, important work then. A lot of people are the other way. They want to shoot a little bit, kind of get warmed up, and now let's shoot some groups. So whatever you guys need to do to, to get to that point... Get to that point. You you need to know your strengths, you know. Um, so, you know, shooting groups is very important in this. Make good trigger pulls. Yeah, your, fundament- your, fun- your fundamentals is the, the basis for everything. Your fundamentals is going to determine your load development. Yeah. It really it's- is. At the, at the end of the day, it's going to be based off of your fundamentals and what that load is doing. To complement your fundamentals. If you're a three-quarter inch shooter, what good does a quarter MOA load do you? Right. You know, you could have a half MOA load. You could shoot factory ammo that's half MOA and, you know, so you have to know your your limitations as well, you know. Sure. So we got ladder tests, we got optimum charge weights. Yeah. Uh, primers. Primers and seating primers. I feel like this gets overlooked a lot as far as, as seating primers. So, you know, a lot of guys will do it on the press. And I know guys, they still they do it on the press. They're amazing shooters. But in my head, I cannot allow myself not to seat all the primers the same. So you've you've been there. With me. <laughs> I know. You, you sat right next to me and got your <laughs> ass like, no, yeah, just like, don't do that. Yeah, like, Stop doing that. Get, yeah. Give give it back to me. Yeah. Did did you rotate did that you, piece of brass 180 <laughs> and reseat? So that here's again? what I learned, guys. Yeah. So <clears throat> just with the uh, the regular hand primer, right? Mm-hmm. So either the Hornady one, I have one of those, and then what was the one that you used? K and M. The K and M. So. You're doing one at a time, one at a time, and you're just dropping the primer in. You're putting the bra- piece of brass on the, um, on the, uh, yep, on the shell holder, pressing it, and then rotating it 180 degrees and pressing it again. Right. That's that's where Adam is at on his primers. Yeah. Well, I will tell you from firsthand experience, <laughs> if you're loading with him, don't just stick it in there, prime it, and then pull it out and try to put it in the tray. That's not happening. He's always paying attention. Right. Well, and, and the thing is, it, it's like, well, how do you know that that stem was ground flat? Is it ground flat? Is is one side a thousandth off than the other? Now your primer's seated. Crooked. Crooked. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, well, just spin it 180 degrees and seat it again. If it doesn't move, great. If it does, hey, even better. You yeah. Know, it, I like to make sure that the anvil is setting against the bottom of the, the primer cut. 
you know, so that way we know that when the firing pin hits that primer cup, that it's going to hit the anvil, it's going to ignite, and it's going to every single time. And it's the same every single time. And you see the primer in, and it, the anvil's actually not seated all the way against the bottom of the cup. And then when the primer, the firing pin hits the primer cup, then that primer actually can slide forward slightly, and then the anvil hits and bottoms out, and it still ignites. Well, that's not the same. Right. You know? Or one side of our anvil is touching the bottom of the cup because we are the our RCBS or our Lee or our whatever the cheapest priming tool that we could find at the time that had a hundred tray on it because everybody hates priming. <laughs> right. Didn't have anything that was the hole was was sloppy to the pin. The pin went ground flat on the ends. You, you know, it just everything it just compounds and adds up. Right, and it's not just the primers. I mean, you're going to have some, there's going to be a problem with the brass, or there's maybe there's an inconsistency in the bullet. And right. That, so it, that, what it comes down to is, it comes down to you have to put in the effort to relieve the mistakes of somebody else. Correct. So whoever was manufacturing it, they may or may not have made a mistake, but we don't deal in maybes. Right. We deal in absolutes. So just do it the same way every single time. To make up for that, the the primer tool that was made at five thirty on a Friday, right? Or after a long ben, uh, bender weekend or something like that on yeah, a Monday. Monday, yeah. <laughs> so, I hate my job. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this priming tool. Yeah, I made nine million priming tools this year. So, yes, and there comes a point because of diminishing return, mm -hmm. right? We can. What are you we can, getting? We, what are you getting? So. <laughs> You can you can you can uh, cut that that primer cup or not the cup. Um, wow, I can't even think of it. Primer pocket so that it is flat, and you know that it's perfect. But how much time does that take? Mm -hmm. Right. We're not shooting for the practical shooter. That shot is not that important. Bench rest F class, yeah. We're shooting holes in papers, thousands of an inch matter. We want to make sure all those things are taken care of. So it depends on how far you want to go, right? How, how much work do you want to do? Do you want to turn next? Do you want to true up flash holes? Do you want to true up the, the <coughs> just the, the primer cup, you know, or <laughs> anyways, so how much work do you want to do? Right? What I've noticed in, in your loading is you lean out a lot of things where you're just like, dude, this doesn't matter. I don't need to have shiny brass. It takes more time and it doesn't do anything for me. Right. But what I do need to do is make sure that these primers are seated properly. What I do need to do is make sure that every single, you know, kernel is counted for when we're putting this load together. Uh, what I do need to do is make sure that when I'm pressing that bullet in there, it's going to that correct length right so it's not you're not getting to the point where you're sharpening bullets or anything like that because mm -hmm. does it help you more again diminishing returns does it help right. you more there's people that believe it does yeah and i can't say that it doesn't because they're very good shooters right you know i can't say that no that doesn't work right. i'm just saying that to get a little bit more out of it when you know 
when you and a person like that are neck and neck and you guys are shooting the exact same and you're spending less time to put it together and less, and, you know, honestly, less training time because we just don't, we don't have that time over. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't afford that either. So it's, I, I've seen your process and it, just, it it leans out a lot of the stuff like, the, why, why are you doing this? Stop doing that. Focus on this. Right. I, I see, I, I listen to guys all the time. And this is a common, this, this just came up the other day. It makes, it makes me laugh inside, you know, because it's, you don't know what you, you don't know until you do, right? right? And then you only know when you start to know, learn more and you realize you don't know as much, right? you know? So you're sitting there and it's just like one thing after another leads to another and you're like, man, I didn't even know that this was this big of a hole to fall into, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, weighing brass, weighing brass to me is useless. There's people that put water in it. That's a different deal. Different <laughs> deal. <laughs> different deal. But, um, I, man, weighing brass to me is, is just a huge waste of time. Because if you want to do one thing to brass, if you want to add one extra step, check concentricity. That's way more important than the weight of the brass. You know, It's like, okay, well, this piece of brass is really heavy. Can you throw that away? That was the most concentric piece of brass that you had. Right. It was exactly 15 thousandths thick on the neck and the shoulder and the body all the way to the head. The web was super concentric. That was actually the best piece of brass you had. And you just threw it in the trash because it was heavier than the rest. That could have been the piece of brass that won you the match. <laughs> right, that one shot. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just I hate weighing brass because, you know, there, there's not much weight in the neck, in the shoulder, in the body, but there's a lot of weight in the head of a piece of brass. Well, if let's say the head or on the inside of the, the body down in the head is a thousandths thicker, well, in that area, that adds a lot more weight to a piece of brass. Now, if it was a thousandths thicker in the, or thinner in the neck, you wouldn't really see the weight difference because that's already a very thin piece of the brass. So the, that weight difference depends on where it is. You know, if it's in the neck or if it's in the head of the case, it matters. So why not, let's just check concentricity. That's way more important. Yeah. You know, people like to focus on weird stuff or they, they think well, that weight, it's the important, your... if they think it's the important thing to, to look at and they say, yeah. well, you said consistency and now all my brass weighs the same. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, uh, you, 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 you took it and went, went a different route with it. Yeah. Consistency you, and accuracy is what right. we're looking for. Now that you've, you've weighed it, let's check concentricity <laughs> on all that stuff. If you want to, yeah, if you want to spend the time. Yeah. yeah. And then, then, then you have multiple pieces of brass that weigh different. So what do you do when you get to a stage, you have five of one weight and five of the other. Does one shoot different than the other? Is your brain going to ask you that question? Are you going to worry about that right. right before you step up to a stage? Let's add one more thing to it for us to worry about. Yeah, I'm at the point where it's like, dude, if you want to add more steps to the process, one, you're going to mess something up. Yeah. Uh, um, why don't you just stop everything, melt it all down, make your own brass, <laughs> and then you know work it back up from there. If you have that time, just do it. Yeah, I don't have that time. 
<laughs> I trust Lapua. <laughs> right? No, they make really good stuff. So uh, we're going to wrap this up. We're, we're hitting uh, 45 minutes or so, 45, 50 minutes. But uh, again, uh, thank you guys for listening to The Everyday Sniper. This is, uh, this is a lot more fun and, and we've had in the last year doing this stuff and, and helping out. And if you guys have questions or anything, hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Sniper Side in the forum, The Everyday Sniper uh, threads that are in there. I see some really good stuff and we're in there responding and, and uh, reading the comments and everything. So we are listening to what you guys have to say. If there's something, uh, again, that you guys want to see, in the future just let us know throw it in there and uh we'll take a look at it and see if we can put an episode around that uh one more shout out uh, again to frank you guys keep him in it keep him in your thoughts please um he's going through some rough stuff and he'll he'll be back on soon no worries he bounces back pretty quick he's a little resilient dude so uh we'll be happy to see him when he gets back to colorado adam you got anything house cleaning or uh no man i i, I mean the only thing I could think of is uh, we talked a little bit about shooting our low development. Just shoot it in all conditions before you settle on something. Yeah. Uh, Across I, the board, too. I like I like to make sure my stuff shoots in the wind because very rarely do you have a calm day match. Right. So shoot that load in, in the, the wind. In the last two it years, at the match at Pawnee, we've had nothing but 12 to 50 miles an hour. <laughs> the one weekend we do inventory, no wind. Yeah, a no win <laughs> match. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's it's uh, go out and test the stuff, and if you guys, uh, you know, write write down whatever, uh, email us, ask us questions, get on the forums, ask those guys. There's a whole reloading section on Sniper's Hide, and everybody has something doing that they're doing differently. We're not saying this is the way to do things. This is a way to do things. There's a thousand ways to skin this cat when it comes down to any of the stuff we talk about. Um, we're just giving you what we know. It's your job to go out and pull the best of each part so that you have something that's consistent to you and you built it. And when you hit that thousand yards with your, with your, fine, with your fine-tuned load, it's because you did it. Okay, so you have you have somebody to pat on the back, and it's yourself. Yep. Sounds All right, good. guys. We'll talk All to right. you later. Thanks. Peace. Bye.